Salutations, survival experts. I am so glad you are listening to this episode because we are going to do some awesome things. We are going to talk about live radio with one of my favorite people. And on this journey, her and I will explore how mental health survival has affected some of our favorite rock stars. So, to start this off, let me introduce myself. I'm Survival Nick, and I love rock and roll. And I believe that the very controversial Kim Fowley said it best when he uttered the words, Rock and roll is a nuclear blast of reality in a mundane world where no one is allowed to be magnificent. Joining me today is my good friend, Amanda Dagley. Welcome back to the Survival Guide, Amanda. Thanks for having me. And uh, we have a special guest. My cat, Albert, would like to be part of this, too. He, he is welcome to weigh in. <laughs> he is definitely welcome to weigh in. So uh, so let's start this off by having you answer three questions. Okay. Who are you? What do you do? And do you love rock and roll? I'll start from the bottom up. I do love rock and roll. I play records for a living, virtually, although they're not records anymore. And my name is Amanda Dagley. I am co-owner, station manager, and music director of Z1063. Oh, that is the local hip radio station. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the radio station. Like, you know, when did it start? What's a radio station? That kind of a thing. Well, we started, uh, the idea of it started in summertime of 2017. By early January 2018, we had had our built our station and we went live on the air February 2018. We're a classic hits radio station, which has changed and evolved quite a bit since we started about four and a half years ago. And we do play pretty much all, uh, it sounds corny to say this, but we play all the hits from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. So it's all the stuff that our, our friends grew up with, our parents grew up with. So it, it's uh, it's kind of a nostalgia machine in all the good ways. Yeah. I, I always hear songs where, you know, I'll be listening for a couple hours and then I'll be like, oh my goodness. I get, the, I get hit with this like, oh, I knew where I was in 1991 when I heard this song for the first time. <laughs> It's good stuff. But yeah, and it's you know I think one of the times like you heard Information Society and you're like what I, I mean that's one of the it's one of those songs like I, I specialize Who in the songs that? nobody does but it's a great song. It What's is. on your mind is a great song. It's good stuff. Um, but I think that's what we do is like we're we set apart from a lot of the other radio stations because we do have we play all the hits but we play the things that people might have forgotten about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think uh, I, one hit wonders get a bad rep. I think sometimes people think they're kind of cheesy, but those are the songs that make up the history of of music. You have your big guy. But then you have those one-offs that also make things a lot more interesting. We try to play those too. Yeah, and well, that's the variety in a variety station is the one-hit wonders mm-hmm. because you know everyone knows Madonna, <laughs> everyone knows Bon Jovi. I mean, you play that too. I do, but, but I, I, but I mean, I'll, I'll play uh, probably play more of a deep cut than I would anything else. I try not to play too deep, but you know. I appreciate that. I appreciate that <laughs> quite a bit. So, how can people listen? to this radio station. If you are in the, our listening area is actually quite large. You can get us from here to Malone, to Canada, as you know, to Vermont. Um, So if you want to listen terrestrially, you can go to 106.3 FM on your dial, or you can listen at WNBZ.com. WNBZ.com. Or if you have one of those, you can use TuneIn or some of the other, uh, uh, I think like, Radio Garden. Have you seen this thing yet? Like, yeah. yeah so you, that's neat. We're on Radio Garden too. Um, okay. But you can find us in anywhere that you, if you can just say Alexa, play a WNBC. Yeah. So and now if anyone's listening I just made to this you. podcast, <laughs> you just uh, triggered their Alexa. Alexa, so. play WNBC. Sorry. It's perfect. Yes. 
Google does the same, yeah. you know, like, or Google Assistant. Oh, right, right, right. What does being a, do you call yourself a DJ? Yeah, I do. I okay. like, I, I mean, in England, they call us announcers, which I like. Um, oh, okay. Is that nice? Or pre- not announcers, they call us um, presenters. Presenters. Right. Presenters. So I, I, I mean. I've heard that. I call myself a jock. Like, I mean, only in the radio sense, because I'm not, uh, yeah. not, not, I'm not sports minded, but DJs, disc jockey, jocks, okay. announcers, you know, all of the yeah. above. But our, our DJs are not, um, even if some of them are recording from other places, I'll, a lot of our DJs are regional. Um, so if they're not actually physically in the studio, they're still doing a live presentation. The difference is if you run a syndication program, these programs are created weeks or days in advance and they just, they, they're just they plugged and played and all that good stuff. But with ours, our DJs try to establish a relationship with the audience, which I think is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Because... Anytime that, you know, you're between songs, you want to still engage the listener and make them stick around. It is all about the music, but it's also about the personalities, too. I kind of like a little bit of a comment on something that just happened. Yeah. You know, yeah. That... And we, we try that. You know, I mean, for instance, like yesterday was uh, grilled cheese day, right? So I was talking like all about like you should make – I was telling people my grilled cheese recipe because I have a special secret that I do with my grilled cheese. Mm. You don't really get that on other radio stations because they are very much programmed to – have to play the the maximum amount of commercials, maximum amount of music, and everything is very much formulaic. We're formulaic too, but we try to have a little bit of wiggle room to make it interesting. Okay, and that's important to you. Very, very much. All right, so what we are going to talk about today is kind of segueing into your world, and that is the world of the rock star, (laughs) right? And and you are, I kind of think in like a a Greek god sense, you're, you know, one of those, um, I don't know, prophets that, you know, sit and tell what the gods are saying by playing the hits right right much like uh greek gods we kind of like see these people from afar but they experience the human condition the same way that we do mm-hmm. in fact probably sometimes i think it's worse yeah way more <laughs> intense right because yeah. if if you are just experiencing if you are experiencing a difficult time in your life and you are just a normal person you can get help and you can get support but if you are a celebrity everybody's going to scrutinize every Mm -hmm. single thing that you do Mm -hmm. which can make that more intense and you'll end up getting people who support you for being wacky and weird and you'll get people who criticize you and then you get the bubble made and then all of a sudden you have people like kanye west who was definitely is probably still a musical genius but has been enabled to become kind of a very difficult person. Yes. And in the case of Kanye is I think that um, he, I find him to be problematic with what's going on in his personal life that we hear about in the media. But as somebody who understands that mind of, wow, everybody's watching me all the time. I don't think that Kanye would, if you, if it were you and I having this type of type of problem, we'd be, it'd be easier for us to go to see a therapist or talk to somebody. Right. But it, it's not easy for somebody of his magnitude of stardom to be able to do that. And yeah. I, and I think that, you know, I, I, I feel bad for Kanye. As, right. I know that's also probably a controversial opinion, but I feel bad for him because nobody knows what's going on with him. No, no. And you, you know, you can. You can feel bad for somebody's situation, but still not condone the things right. that they do. Right, and I think um, that's the case with him. As I, I think that he is very much in deep right now, and I think more people are trying to hate on him. And I can, I can't imagine. I mean, he, he still has to spend when he goes to bed at night. He's still by himself, and he has to 
address what's going on with him. Sure. And he yeah. probably doesn't have anybody close where he can feel comfortable to do that with. Or he has a bunch of yes men. That's and, true too. Or yes men and yes women or yes people who just tell him that everything he's doing is great, which mm -hmm. is... It's that's kind of a bad friendship. Mm -hmm. So I we're not going to spend the whole time talking about Kanye West. <laughs> oh, that's heck. A, that is a that Another is show? a separate oh. show. <laughs> I've already talked about Kanye West on several podcasts oh, really? already. So, but you know, I mean, we do need to change the way that we talk about um, you know celebrities who experience uh, mental health disorders because you know in one moment we are talking about how someone is so creative and so eccentric and we forgive their strange behavior but then when their strange behavior becomes problematic we're talking about them they're they're crazy and they can't be trusted so and they're still human so when they hear that or read the review or hear the interview that is about them they're they, what a conflicting way like oh you love me but you hate me well what is it Right, exactly. So I, I, I have some some stars that I want to talk about. I know you chose some stars that you want to talk about, and this isn't always all positive stories. They are not all negative stories. They are just examples that mental health, mental health survival, and just the human condition affects them too. But before we get into it, I want to take a quick break, and we're back. All right. So I, I chose three stars to talk about. How many stars do you I got? I have three. You have three as well. Okay, great. Um, none of them are metal stars. Metal is my my genre of choice normal, normally, but I will say the reason why I didn't choose any metal stars like, you know, Ozzy Osbourne is because I don't think I could stop talking about them as if, <laughs> I, if I started. So I just choose, I chose some people who I thought were more... Um, on the level as far uh, as far as like uh, mass appeal, does that make sense? And one of yours surprised me when I saw your list, and I oh, good, know, I was very surprised because oh, I don't good. think I knew this about this person. So, oh well. First, I want to talk about. Do you mind if I go first? Oh, absolutely. I'd rather you go yeah. first, so I know what we're doing. Okay, good. I'm going to set the standard. <laughs> the pressure's on. Okay. Okay. So, first person that I want to bring up is Bruce Springsteen. Mm -hmm. Because if you know anything about Bruce Springsteen, you can kind of look back at his career and you can say, wow, he's been successful with everything he's done. And obviously he's struggled. Obviously there's been things that he's had to deal with. He's made bad choices. He's made good choices. But he is a megastar. Regardless of whether you like him or not, he is mm -hmm. a megastar. He's, he's one of those guys that I think... When I look at him, he he lives off a lot of bravado, you know. Yeah, he, I can see that. He acts like a guy. He acts like a man, and mm -hmm. I'm not in an offensive way, not in necessarily a chauvinistic way. Yeah. But he's a dude's dude. I yeah. mean, they call him the boss, right? <laughs> you know, and so so because of that, I think he has to keep up with appearances a mm -hmm. lot of times. Uh, but in his autobiography, which came out recently, I guess, uh, "Born to Run," he confesses that he has actually been crushed by depressive thoughts. Wow. And in a Vanity Fair interview, which is weird because I would never think that Bruce Springsteen would be in <laughs> Vanity Fair, but I guess he is. I don't read the magazine. He stated that you never, you don't know the illness's parameters. And then he goes on later in the interview to say that whoever you've been, wherever you've been, it never leaves you. I always picture it as a car. All yourselves are in it. A new self can get in it, but the old selves can't get out. The important thing is who's got their hands on the wheel at any given moment. Oh, I like that. And yeah, I mean that makes a that that speaks, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, it speaks a lot to me because 
if you've ever listened to his the words in his songs, and he writes his songs. Yeah. And he writes songs for other people, you know? Yeah. He really seems to understand emotion. He's never been someone that seems to stand out as struggling with addiction or poor mental health. And for him to recognize in a very public way that he's affected by depression, that's kind of rad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just want to also state that I've met Bruce Springsteen. Oh, that's right. You did meet Bruce Springsteen. Um, yeah, tell, I, tell I the met story. I met him twice uh, at, a, at a shop that I used to work at in Lake Placid. And, you know, after I got over my starstruckness, uh, he was just this really nice, kind, relatable guy. And we chit-chatted for what felt like six or seven hours, but was really probably about 30 minutes. And he's just a really, really, really nice dude. So when I read about uh, his his uh, confession of depression, I was like, oh my goodness, that's another way that we're alike. <laughs> so so Bruce Springsteen was my first. So who's your first? Well, actually, I want to say piggyback on the Bruce Springsteen. Oh, please do, you, please you guys do. also have something in common. You both love Halloween. Oh, that's true. Yes. He's a big Halloween fan, he and his wife. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So I'm going to yeah. start, I think I'm going to start uh, with Keith Emerson as my first guy. Okay, good choice. Um, for people who don't know, Keith Emerson is the keyboardist of Emerson Lake and Palmer. Um, he was also in a band called Nice before that. An amazing keyboardist. I mean, nothing but fanfare. I mean, one of his things they used to do is he used to, he's so good that yeah. he would take a knife and he would throw it and it would land between keys and it would just sustain this note. And he was just a, a showman's showman. You know yeah. what I mean? And Emerson Lake and Palmer is a progressive rock band. They People know them for things like uh, Fanfare of the Common Man and, you know, brain salad surgery, things like that. But they uh, they toured for a long time. And, okay, so in 2017, um, Keith Emerson took his own life. And the reasoning why, and his widow opened up about this, is that he started to have extreme problems with his right hand. Now, if you are a keyboardist mm. of his magnitude and you no longer can use your right hand to play, mm. that really messes with your psyche and it messes with, you know, who you are. When your whole yeah. life has been, I'm Keith Emerson, master musician, and now I can't play stuff. It, it really yeah. messes with you. His and identity was at his, his whole, fingertips. Exactly. And his, whole, yeah. and his whole right arm was messed up and he couldn't take it anymore. Mm. So um, when, he, when he decided to end his life, it was through the deliberation of not being able to do it anymore. And this is the thing that, you know, you mentioned about Kanye. People are, either they love him or they hate him. Some of the things that I don't think people realize that just because you're famous, you also have feelings. Yeah. And I think that that gets ignored a lot by people who are just, who just have opinions about everything that famous people do, good or bad. Right. And Keith Emerson was one of those guys, like, he never got in trouble. He was never a bad guy. He was no. just a musician. He's not very controversial. No! I mean, maybe that knife was probably about it, you know, and he was a little cocky, but, you know, he's just, he's he's just he, Keith Emerson. He had the chops to back it up. Absolutely, man. If you could yeah. do that stuff, we'll go for it. Yeah. But he had gone on tour a little bit around the time that his arm was failing, and people would say to him, oh, he should just stop. Why is he even bothering? Completely negating the fact that for 40 years, this man has been making amazing music mm. and they were being mean to him in, in social ways, like through social media and reviews. Of course, now that everyone can have a have an internet connection, they all have an opinion about right, these things. Right, absolutely. And, you know, they're human, so they read their reviews too. Yeah. And people were saying, were just basically criticizing him, like he should just pack it in. And, well, oh, imagine, imagine he did. Imagine just you being who you are and... 
having someone that you don't know tell you that you can't do what you want to do anymore and you can't do what you are known for anymore. Mm-hmm. That's got to cut right to the core. And I think that that was it. I mean, I think that he just, he couldn't accept the fact that he was not able to make music the way he used to. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad for Carl Palmer because shortly after that, Greg Lake passed away. So there's only Palmer left in Emerson, Lake and Palmer, <laughs> you know. And uh, I think that, again, it's like people were judging um, Keith Emerson's ability to perform and not taking in. If you're really a fan of Emerson, Lake and Palmer, you should be c- considerate and encouraging for him. You shouldn't be making him feel bad because he's not dancing the way that you wanted him to, like he's your own pet monkey, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to hear flawless performances listen to the cds exactly yeah. and they got plenty of live albums go for yeah. it yeah <laughs> yeah that's rough that's rough that's a that's a great example too because i guess i guess when if it almost seems like when you are famous the normal things that we experience as normal folk have higher risks mm-hmm. so and you're supposed to be invincible because you're famous right you're not supposed to have feelings yeah you don't have feelings but that's not the case not at all that's not the case well, uh, let, let me enter into this arena with someone, wh- which I think is actually a positive example. So it's a, it's a lighter story, is that, if, that's, if that's cool with you. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I want to talk about Brian Wilson. Okay, it's funny. So, I almost picked him, but I figured you might, so I didn't. So that's good. So I'm a, I, I like the Beach Boys. I do too. I, I like the Beach Boys. I think the Beach Boys um, are one of those bands that were so important years ago and then have kind of like faded into rock and roll history where they're just not as important unless you're a big fan of watching the show Full House right. which they're on like every season <laughs> for some reason. That they were on that. Yeah. Well, I mean John Stamos drummed for That's them for right. A while, I forgot so about that. That's that a, hilarious. It's a weird thing. It's oh my just gosh. Totally weird. I completely forgot about. I can just see the picture of John Stamos like behind the set like yeah. you know. Anyway. So so actually, you know, side story, I my kids I, I was showing my kids Full House. So Did my it kids, hold up? I mean, it's corny and weird, okay. and I mean, there are some things that are problematic, obviously, but it was the late 80s, early mm-hmm. 90s, so things are weird. Um, but my son just absolutely fell in love with John Stamos. He just thinks he's, he's the, the coolest, coolest dude. He's, he's coolest cool. Guy. And so we saw an episode with the Beach Boys, and I was just like, oh, did you know, and they were singing Kokomo. I was like, well, actually, did you know John Stamos, he's actually the drummer, the percussionist in the video for Kokomo. And my son like looked at me like, we have to watch this video. And he wa- we watched this video, and he was just like, it's him. Oh, my God. I didn't it's know him. that. It's Uncle, it's Uncle Jesse. <laughs> so, so anyway. I had no idea. Now i got to watch the video for Kokomo. Oh, I played that do. today. You actually. do. Oh, it's a good song. Good song. <laughs> it's not a real place either. It's not? Boom. I'm just dropping bombs all hmm. over the place. No. No. I always thought Kokomo was a real place. It, like, well, in the, it is in the in Florida your, Keys. It is in your heart. <laughs> Okay. So anyway, speaking of uh, your heart and, you know, Kokomo, Brian Wilson. So when when he was when Brian Wilson was about 25 years old, he was already super famous and he began to notice that he interacted with things differently and started to experience anxiety attacks that he actually can trace back to when he was a teenager. Now, uh, he experienced massive depression around this time, and then he was diagnosed with depression and schizoaffective disorder. Wow. This was around probably the, the height of his fame at the time, and a lot of people 
uh, did not talk about this kind of stuff. There still is a lot of stigma when it comes to depression and schizoaffective disorder, but, you know, Brian Wilson was very public about schizoaffective disorder and, and his depression kind of in, like, the the spotlight of of fame and and I, I think that was just that's that's the kind of stuff that crushes people yeah. and it did it had a, it had an immense effect over him but it didn't stop him from recording right and it didn't stop him from writing music for himself writing music for other artists there were times where the Beach Boys would go on tour and Brian Wilson was like I can't I can't I just can't do it anywhere right now and you know the guys were just like okay that's fine you know you're still part of this and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you when we need to. But he was quoted in saying, lots of the music that I've made has been my way of trying to get rid of the, these voices, speaking about the voices in his head. When I walk into the studio, music happens and the voices stop happening. It's a kind of magic. And Brian. I mean, the Beach Boys at one point were this group of cool, non-threatening white guys who yeah. were marketed kind of as these teenage dreamboats who embodied the American spirit. I mean, still, if you go all over the world and you talk about American music, someone's going to talk about They're the They're California, it's, period. It's California. <laughs> Not a single one of them knew how to surf, but they sang several songs about surfing, right? I wonder, could, I wonder if they could uh, skateboard because they sang a song about sidewalk they, surfing. Oh, that's Jan and Dean. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. Jan and Dean. Get it right. Come on. <laughs> I bet you Jan and Dean could serve. You know, and and then, you know, later in their career, they got experimental and, you know. That's my favorite part of that. You know, uh, yeah. uh, (laughs) uh, You know, Good Vibrations is just a great great song. It's a great song. Great song, right? Um, And, but for Brian Wilson to be so public about his struggles with depression and hearing voices is actually groundbreaking. And the fact that it has kind of set a standard, you can still be this important person and you don't have to pack everything up just because you have a diagnosis that a lot of people are still afraid of today so i think i think brian wilson is a soldier for the mental health movement and i even would include all of the efforts that he did with uh, wilson phillips so, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that because he produced that music yeah, and, which and it, if you think about it it sounds it's, I mean, it sounds very Beachy Boysy oh, kind yeah. of. It's so Absolutely. the harmonies are perfect. It's so it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. And he's their dad, right? Is he their dad? Or he's is Car- that... Carney Wilson. Carney. Father. Okay. Yep. Right. So and she was in Wilson right. Phillips. Yep. So who else do you have? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on that grim boat. That's. That's okay. <laughs> so I was thinking about all the ba- all the people that I wanted to do for this. One, I honorable mention to um, Andy Partridge from XTC. XTC stopped being a touring band because Andy Partridge was terrified of being on stage. Incredibly, yeah. incredibly sick to uh, to think about being in stage. You know, he had a state, terrible stage fright and being addicted to Valium. His wife takes his pills away. He's supposed to go on tour and he just loses it and it stops. Right. Absolutely. And I think we're talking 1980. And think about it too, Brian Wilson being in the 60s into the 70s. This stuff wasn't talked about. It no. just wasn't talked about. No, it was, I mean, people got locked away for this kind of stuff. And to be able to, I mean, if you think about it too, why I want to talk about for Brian, people kind of still make fun of him. Like he's kind of a joke. I, mean, I don't think yeah. he's a joke, but he has been a, a he has been a punchline to some jokes because oh, yeah. of the way he's acted. Yeah. And I, mean, I don't he, think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, f- 
Any from from any any anywhere from fat jokes to depression jokes. Mm-hmm. It's I Brian think I've se- I think I've seen jokes about him on Family Guy if I'm right or something yeah. like oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So where I want to go from that is to Ian Curtis. Now, oh, absolutely. Ian That's Curtis. Um, do you know how old Ian Curtis was when he passed away? Just out of time. No. I will hold that until and I'll tell you his story and I'll tell you that I didn't realize how young he was until last night. So Ian Curtis is the front man of a band called Joy Division. They started out as a band called Warsaw. Warsaw. He was on my list originally. Was he? Okay. So I'm glad glad you picked him. So the original band they were uh, was called Warsaw after the Warsaw song by David Bowie, and they're from Manchester. Four young men. Um, He happened to answer an advertisement in the paper saying, "Oh, you're looking for a singer? I can do that." He was really normal. He had a wife. He had a government job. He was just not your typical rock star. No. And the other three guys in the band were like, okay, we want to make music. We'll let Ian do this, the, the lyric writing and everything's great. But Ian Curtis started to be plagued with seizures. He uh, had epilepsy. Yeah. And as they toured more and things happened, his epilepsy became so severe that he would sometimes have seizures on stage. And those seizures were very embarrassing to him because yeah. he was so afraid that I'm going to be having seizures and they're going to make fun of me and they're going to this and they're going to that. And quite honestly, not all of the press was kind about Ian Curtis's no, no, seizure no. disorder. They, they lived and he lived with a lot of shame. He did. And he and he had a lot of stuff going on. So he was 19 when they started Joy Division. And when yep. he died, he was 23. Was he 23? He was only 23. Good so Joy Division God. was only around for about four years before. Yeah. And Ian Curtis um, had a wife and a child. And he, when he was younger, he had, he did have a suicide attempt and it, uh, a couple, I think some time went on, whatever. And then he had another one in April of 1980. Mm. And when that, when he, he survived that and, you know, his, his, um, his mental state was not good, but Joy Division had just recorded the album Closer and that was about to be released and they were going to go on their tour of America. Mm. In May of 1980. So they were due to be in America, going to leave on the tour May 19th, 1980. Yeah. And um, Ian had been having an affair with a woman, and that was causing a lot of trouble in his marriage. And he was conflicted because he loved one woman. He had a wife and child, and his, all of this stuff was going on. So he had had a heck of a fight with his wife. She leaves, and he's by himself, all by himself in yeah. the apartment that they owned or the house that they owned. And he had been watching some watching a movie where the main character suffered from epilepsy and um, he was listening to Iggy Pops, the idiot. And basically he was just not in a good place. Right. His wife came home because he had told her, like, don't come back until I'm ready to go. I don't want, don't come back. I'm don't come yeah. back. I'm going to be, we're going to be gone by 10 a.m. to America. Don't come back. So he, she comes back. Unfortunately, she finds him. He yeah. took his own life. And I think that with his case is that I watched something that the boy, so Joy Division, after Ian Curtis passed away, um, becomes the band New Order. New Order, yep. And it's just basically, and, it's and all. They, it, write, they write a bunch of songs about Ian Curtis. Exactly. <laughs> and something that they said, and I've always really, I liked New Order long before I knew who Joy Division was. So oh, I, sure. went, I came to Joy Division way after, but I love both bands. And the universal statement from all of the band members were this. We didn't realize. We yeah. probably should have paid attention to his lyrics. Yeah. We didn't realize. That was just, they, one quote was, they said, well, we didn't realize because those lyrics, those were his personal business. Yeah. They And they all said, you know what, and I can't say the word, but they call themselves stupid you-know-whats because they didn't pay attention. Yeah. So the guilt that runs in that band since is because the signs were there, yeah. but they just thought, 
they just didn't think. But yeah. they think they were young too. They were all in their early twenties. So yeah, you and know, they, they were living in a world where you didn't talk about mental health not. issues. In fact, the only time you did talk about them, it was just to talk about how uh, it inspired writing. And mm-hmm. if you listen to Joy Division, which I happen to have moments in my life where I still do, and I love it. I listened love, a lot last night. <laughs> love will tear us apart, right? So, yeah. um, but then when you listen to New Order, you get you get songs where they've kind of on the nose, like Bizarre Love Triangle mm-hmm. and Blue Monday. Mm-hmm. They're definitely about something. Yes. You know, and so, yeah, well, 23. 23, and the thing is, it's like, you know, people, they, and the thing is, he's, he's a legend now. Like, Ian yeah. Curtis is a legend. But people just did not take him seriously. No. So, you know, if I say anything, like, if you have a friend that's struggling, you know, I don't care how many times they come to you that they're struggling. Yeah. Each time, pay attention. And you know? you know what? I mean, you and I, we're, we're in our 40s. 23 is a kid. I can't. 23? 23. 23 had a baby, owned a home, was a starting to become an international rock star, yeah. you know, because they, 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 they're they post-punk. So they came after, right after the whole Sex Pistols thing, you know, they were the new sound you know, oh, of sure. that. Absolutely. A- and like, I, it's so dark and, and deep. And, yeah, and New, uh, new Order carried that sound. And I, I mean, I love, and again, I love New Order, don't yeah. get me wrong, but, you but, know. But they inspired bands like the Smiths and mm-hmm. they inspired bands like, um, you know, The Cure. Uh, stylistically, yeah. not necessarily the same music. Right. But. Oh, definitely. Definitely early Cure sounds so much like Joy Division. Yeah. And I, it just breaks my heart because, again, you know, if you, if I, I always try to give people extra credit. And if you want to watch something about Ian Curtis, I recommend the movie Control. Have you yeah, seen that? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Ooh, I watched the, I watched the it's end of it. It's hard. It's all in black and white yeah. and it's very much Mancunian. You know what I mean? Like it's all very dark. Yeah. And I it's watched. It's a very punk movie. To oh, watch. it's so punk. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. But I watched the, I watched the infamous last scene last night to uh, prepare for this. Ooh. And I was just like, oh gosh, you know, but it's, it, but it, it's hard because again, that people made fun of him and it kind of the same way with Keith Emerson. The, the the fan base wasn't forgiving. Yeah, they took away the fact that he was human, and that is the problem. Once you once you remove remove the humanity of the rock star, and you don't take into consideration that they're just like me and you. That's when you elevate them to something that most of them they can't get out of. Um, it's so easy for us lay people to talk about or to kind of mention they had everything. They had they had access to everything. They had they had better access than I have. Um, that's, that's not true. No. That's not necessarily true. And if you don't know what to do, it's very hard to figure out what you have to and do. And even if you do know what to do, we've all had, I mean, we all have had those days where like you have, do the task. Well, I have to do the task. What do you do? You do all the other tasks, but you can't do that task. Why can't you do that? You right. just can't do that task. But a celebrity does those tasks with a thousand eyes upon them. Mm-hmm. And that has got to be very difficult. A lot of people are still angry about... Um, folks like Anthony Bourdain mm-hmm. or Robin Williams ending their lives. But the truth is, we don't know what they were going through, and we don't know what they actually had mm-hmm. for support. And and the Robin Williams still, I'm still crushed. Yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't follow Anthony Bourdain as much as some, and I have a friend who was that was an absolutely devastating loss. Yeah, for I've read every book that he wrote. I from what I, I know of him, I I want to hang out with him. Yeah. I eat oysters with him. I don't even eat oysters. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm allergic to a lot of food, but if he served me something, I would eat it. I eat it, you know, because he was real, and so was Robin Williams. The Robin Williams passing really affected me. It it hit a lot of people. It hit a lot of people. Sometimes you can become so famous 
that you put yourself up in the silo and you're by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I think that that, uh, I think that hits with rock stars in a very quick and fast kind of mm -hmm. way because they get known for something. And if they're not able to deliver that something perfectly, yeah. All of a sudden, their identity is ripped from them. Look at poor Britney Spears. Right. If you want to take a contemporary. Who I just found out. She's pregnant. She's having a baby. Yay! <laughs> Good for Britney. <laughs> and, and was an, under some sort of conservatorship. conservatorship and, for 13 and, you know, years. I can't even, like, you know, I am so happy that she can finally be the Britney she's always wanted to be. Yeah, but also, I mean... She was a teen. She was a she was a young teenager when "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time" came out. She grew up in this world. Yeah, there's actually really fun posts that she's been posting where she where she got an iPod for the first time, and it's like uh, it's 2021. She has an iPod for the first time. What? I like, I can't believe just how poorly she was treated. And the one thing you have to say about Britney Spears through everything she's been through, she has not lost her sense of humor. No, no. And, and if anything, she sharpened it. And that's what I love about it. And her. when she when she had her moment where she shaved part of her head and mm -hmm. attacked the paparazzi. I can't um, say as I blame her. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think it's one of those things where out of context, it just looks like, oh my God, Britney's gone crazy. Right. But really, if you understood or experienced a tenth of what she had to go through, you probably would do worse. I mean, think about, put it on the minor level. Like, you know, say something, you know, your printer's not working and your printer's not working. Your printer's not What do you want? Right. You want to throw the printer out the window, right? This frustration. I can't imagine having to suffer the personal frustration that I suffer on daily on the global stage. I can't yeah, imagine that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, I, I know what your third pick is. Yes. I'm going to go with my third pick. Did you pick. change it? Or is it still the same person? No, it's still the same okay. person. It's the, still the same person because I, I feel this person. <laughs> this person needs to be on the... You need to know about this person. Anyone listening to this podcast needs to know about this person. And the person that I'm going to talk about is Polystyrene. I love her. Polystyrene from X-Ray Specs. Now, if you don't really like the late uh, punk, late 70s punk movement, you're probably not going to like X-Ray Specs. But if you can listen to it with a little bit of an open mind, it's brilliant music. Oh, God. It's and the brilliant saxophone music. and all of it. Oh, it's so oh, good. <laughs> everything is, everything's amazing. Polystyrene herself is probably one of the most important alternative, alternative music icons that most people have just kind of never heard of. But if you know, you know, mm -hmm. right? So uh, so just a little bit about polystyrene. She was born the daughter of a Somali-born dock worker in the UK. And she used to tell people that she was a depossessed Somali aristocrat, which I think is awesome. Super <laughs> punk rock. And she was born Marianne Joan Elliott, uh, and she had a band. Polystyrene has this had the had a band called X-Ray Specs. So you can look them up. They're on every streaming service. They're amazing, and they kind of melded punk, rock, ska, and metal, and 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 sounds and weird things that you've never heard of before, and set a standard for what women-fronted bands needed to accomplish. Yeah. She was just, she's just, and super... she's like, she's just a little tiny thing, you know. She dressed in cool stuff. She, she, she worked as like, um, I think she worked in a stall, like a clothing stall, where that's where she bought a lot of her stuff, yeah. which was old at the time. Yeah. You know, she was thrifting, if you will, making these wild outfits, and yeah. she had braces. 
she was in her early in her career and when she was getting you know recorded everywhere and interviewed everywhere and every picture of her she had these enormous braces <laughs> and like that was so punk yeah because she she seemed like a, a kid totally and she was young but right. she was an adult woman yeah and uh her life is definitely full of strange hardships and i did not know this so when you picked her i was like what's going on with polly well so one she was a non-white mm-hmm. punk singer in you know the uk which is not easy. No. It's not easy. It's not, I mean, it's not easy being non-white anyway, but. Right. Uh, for, and she was a woman, non-white. And so when she, uh, in 1991, she was actually formally diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Oh. And, but she had been dealing with it her whole life. But right after her diagnosis in 91, and the and X-ray Specs was doing awesome stuff in the 90s. They were up until like the mid to early 2000s. Right after she received her diagnosis in 91, she got hit by a fire truck and broke her pelvis. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, Polly. Yeah. But it didn't stop her. She's right. resilient. And I mean, and also, I mean, if you were a punk rock star... Getting hit by a fire truck is kind of... It's pretty punk rock. I mean, it's surviving. It's, yeah. it's pretty rad, <laughs> right? So right after she broke her pelvis, uh, she still decided to go into the studio and make music. And she never let her uh, bipolar disorder get in the way. And she would often, when she was very open about her bi- bipolar disorder, she would write off by saying things like, you know, it's been a struggle with bipolar, but that's just life. And it's amazing that she's had this like awesome attitude if you haven't heard x-ray specs and you haven't heard polystyrene uh this might not seem important to you but listen to the music she is aggressive she is in your face and she is brilliant whether you like punk rock music or not she is just an amazing human being who unfortunately is that thunder i think that is thunder okay (laughs) sorry so Polly Styrene is an amazing human being who, unfortunately, right when she was kind of uh, experiencing with X-ray specs, she was kind of experiencing a renaissance in the, uh, like, 2008. She had a new album that came out. And uh, 2010, she was diagnosed with breast cancer right. and actually passed away in 2011. What's unfortunate about this situation, obviously it's unfortunate that she passed away because she was an amazing individual and she was always an advocate for people who were struggling, for women who wanted to be taken seriously in the rock and roll venues. But she also was this bright spirit who encouraged people to just be weird. And when she got her diagnosis, she was like, great, now I can deal with it, but this is who I am. And it's just... It's a tragedy because I think she kind of gets lumped in with all of the other alternative movement and yeah. and the punk scene. But really, there's no one like polystyrene. No. And there, there will be no one like polystyrene ever again. Right. So if you are listening to this podcast and you still don't know who polystyrene is... Just, just look up X-ray specs. I, I think, I think you will. If you, if you can put up with the punk music, you're gonna love it. And the saxophone, yes, it just, it's, it's hilarious. Well, I just, you never heard saxophone in, in punk no, music. No, and, back and then. the thing is, like, they again, they were so, they were so in your face, and like, 
you know, I, I just keep thinking of the line, like, some people say little girls should be seen and not heard, but I say, oh, bondage, up yours! Such, <laughs> such a great song. And it goes right into the saxophone, you know? Yeah. The Day of the World Turned Day Glow I like a lot, too. Yeah, oh, I, I can't... I love all of it, it's I good. I can't list songs that I like from them because I like it all. It's, they they, they had, were so different than everything else that was happening. And unfortunately, punk rock at that time, they were punk. So every, everybody was lumped into the same. Like, yeah, like, they, were, they were definitely in that lump of British punk bands that uh, even had bands that weren't British that were totally in that. Right. I mean, sometimes it's, it, it blows my mind that sometimes people will talk about British punk and then they'll bring up the Ramones. And I'm like, no, wrong, wrong, I'm, wrong, like, wrong. wrong country, dude. And then like, you know, because, you know, if, you know, and I'm going off on a tangent, but you got three kinds of punk rock. You got UK punk rock, you got California punk, and you got, you know, you got East Coast punk, you got, you got West Coast punk. Yeah, absolutely. And they're different all, they're stuff. all different. Yeah. It's all different. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's, I don't know. It can complement each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they can play at the same venues. Definitely. CBGBs could host them. Absolutely. At the time. But anyway, listen to Polystyrene, but also pay attention to her life. And there are documentaries about Polystyrene. Obviously, if you live in the UK, she might be a bigger deal over there. But over here in America, you're going to have to do a little digging, but you can find some great stuff on YouTube. So who's your final pick? So I'm going to actually bring it up from being grim, grim to being normal, I suppose. No. Yeah. Um... So the first two people I said, you know, they'd got no support from their fans and no support from their, you know, the people who supposedly love them. And the third person I picked tonight is Mike Patton. If anybody knows me, they know that Faith No More is my favorite band. Yeah. And I've been in love with Mike Patton since I was 12. And it goes beyond like, oh, he's Dreamboat. Like, I really like him as a person. Yeah. He's I wouldn't... a controversial oh, person. Oh, he is. Because he's such a brat sometimes. Yeah. But uh, yeah. the thing is with Mike Patton is that I was 12 the first time I saw Faith No More's Epic, and that was 1990, although that album came out in 89. And I figured that I've grown up with Mike Patton, and most of his fans that got into them in the early 90s have grown up with Mike Patton. So Mike Patton's in his early 50s now, and he's always been controversial because he is such a jerk sometimes. People like, he just, he has no filter. And if he wants to be mad about it, he doesn't care. Well, he expects excellence. Exactly. And he delivers excellence. And when he doesn't get excellence, he has no patience. Not at all. And I think that the, the, the important thing to know about Mike Patton is that, again, he is a workaholic. He is in so many bands, so many projects. I mean, he does voices for movies and cartoons and he makes music and he's acting and everything else. Before Faith No More, he was in Mr. Mr. Bungle, Bungle. which was his band that he started. Mm -hmm. And that's how Faith No More got to know him Mm -hmm. because Faith No More actually had a lead singer at one time. Um, Rest in peace, Chuck. Right. But, you know, it didn't work out. Who also has struggled with his with mental illness exactly. Chuck mostly also did. yep you know if you want to know who that is just look up the we care a lot video and <laughs> it's worth it that's not <laughs> that's contrary to what you might think that is not Mike Patton right. um, but what I love is a great moment in Mike Patton is the first music video that you got exposed to with Mike Patton as a lead singer to Faith No More he's wearing a Mr. Bungle t-shirt I love that that is just mwah. and he was he was only 23 yeah I mean so he got into Faith No More at 20 21 years old so he was again like think about ian curtis curtis a a, a baby you know what i mean so he goes from being an insulated sort of kid um still in school living with his folks 
he gets uh, his demo tape gets sent to the guys in Faith the More. They like him. They bring him down to uh, to bring him, I guess, down to San Francisco. Right. And so he's working with them. And he has been, if you think about it, Mike Patton has pretty much been on perpetual tour since he was 20, 21 years old. Absolutely. And tours all over the country, all over the world, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and when Faith the More wasn't together, which they've broke, they've not broken up, but they've taken breaks several times. Because they fight with each other. <laughs> right. I mean, they're super creative. Yeah. They're good at what they do. Um, Mike Patton also, it was like, I was like, oh, I could take a break, but instead, I think I'm going to start another band. Yeah. Why not do this band? And the thing is, it's like, and I think that for anybody who has a proclivity to being a workaholic, I think that that's identifiable. Right. And so during the time of the pandemic, Mike Patton sort of like, well, there was nothing they could do, right? Right. Mr. Bungle, his band from, from when he was a young man, decided to re-release their demo that they made when they were teenagers called The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny, getting some famous names to play on it. Uh, Scott Ian from Anthrax and Dave Lombardo from Slayer. Mm-hmm. So they're doing, they do this concert and they're in the Eureka, California public library. Everyone thinks, oh, Faith the More, I'm sorry, everyone thinks, oh, Mr. Bungle's going to do more stuff. Oh, Faith the More is back. And do-. Everyone's happy because it seems like Mike Patton's doing stuff. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're about to go on tour and Mike Patton's like, nope. Yeah. Whoa. That was lightning <laughs> in an immense way. Woo! Did you see the spark? I did. It's like the house Woo! got struck by lightning. Wow. wow. That was epic. Uh, woof. I'm glad I'm not plugged into anything. <laughs> I'm glad you're not either. <laughs> woof. That was a, that was a, and my, my poor cats are like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> That's hilarious. You guys probably should go ahead and This will probably get edited out, but still. I was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so Mike Patton, um, there's good, they're going to be, you know, Faith the Moore is going back on tour. They're going to be doing festivals. They've got all this great stuff going on. And then of course, Mr. Bungle was supposed to do some dates. And then Mike Patton's like, I can't. And he said, he puts a statement out on social media. He's kind of private, but he does his, he does his own social media. And right. he says something to the effect of like, I, due to situations that have been, due to situations that have been exacerbated by the pandemic, I need to stop touring for my mental health. And that is huge from somebody like Mike Patton, who is a perfectionist, to be able to have the bravery to say, like, I can't and tap out. That's impressive. Because he knows he's going to get hit instantly with criticism. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's too bad. But then I thought about it and I was like, that's so awesome. He's choosing mental health. And I, I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I think that that's important. I do too. And I, and why I bring him up, and why I wanted, I saved him for the last. So you see, you get Keith Emerson's fans who are like poo pooing him because right. he's not doing it. You get Ian Curtis's fans and bandmates who just didn't know. Right. And then you get Mike Patton. I, you know, last night I was like, let me go through some of the old stuff that you know when that came out, some of the social media and the interviews. I didn't see one bit of anybody saying, "Oh, it sucks." Everybody supported him unanimously yeah. from the bands right. down to the fans. And I'm like, that is rare because right. you know you've got good fans. And they're like, we'd rather have Mike Patton safe and healthy than go out on tour for our sake. But also to be fair, if you've been a fan of Mike Patton for like the past 10 years or more, you, you kind of got used to the shock value yes. that Mike Patton brings. And every, I mean, you, you, you either love him or you don't like him yes. at all. And that's how, and it was, it, again, I think it's really great. I, I think Faith No More is one of my favorite bands that, 
I think they're just are they just are epic. They have epic. <laughs> they are just they have this survivability. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can play Faith No More to somebody who's never heard them before, and they'll be like, "Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that a lot." And and the thing about him too is, um, hold on, I just lost my train of thought. I'm I'm still I am still like <laughs> the the lightning is wow. That was weird. That was weird. Wake up. Woof. And the thing about Mike Patton is, I actually you got to meet Bruce Springsteen. I got to meet Mike Patton. If you would have told. 12-year-old me that I would have met Mike Patton. I never would have believed you. <laughs> but I met him at Higher Ground in 2000-something, early 2000s. He was uh, on tour with Rozelle. Yeah. And they were doing their, like, their, like, beatboxing or whatever. And, you know, Higher Ground in Vermont, it was, it's a new Higher Ground, but it was, it's a smaller venue. It's like seeing him at Madison Square Garden, right? Yeah, absolutely. So at the end, there comes Mike Patton loping out with his cup of coffee. And yeah. I was like, my friend's like, no, I don't want to go talk to him. No, I don't want to talk to him. So I went over, I'm like... Hi, Mike. You know, and I'm, I put my hand out. I'm like, thanks for coming to, you know, I'm so nervous because right. I, at this time, I'm, I'm pointing, I'm like, I'm not even 30 years old yet. I'm like, Ugh! and he shakes my hand, looks me directly in the eye and he says, no, thank you for coming. And That's I was awesome. like, you are the coolest person ever. <laughs> That's right. Because even if, if he had just been like, get away from me, you would have just been like, oh my God, he said, get away from me. Exactly. But Great. I would, and I've had people say, oh, I've met Mike Patton. He's a jerk. I'm like, well, how did you approach him? Right. People yeah. think he's, he's some sort of like superstar, and he is a superstar, but you know what? He's just a dork like the rest of us. Yeah. He likes to watch horror movies, and he likes to, you know, play music and play video games. He's he just, just a normal person. He sounds like my, my favorite type of person, you know? <laughs> he does everything I like to do. I love so, him. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? You brought that up, and that is, you know, some people say, oh, he's a jerk and stuff. But well, guess what? You know, if you meet me for the first time on some of my days... You're not going to get a good impression of me as same, well. Same. Like, if you catch me on a bad day, everyone's like, well, I thought you were nice. Well, I am nice. But you don't realize that I've had five pieces of equipment break down. Right. My car isn't working. And then I also stepped in dog poop on the way to work. Like, right. people don't take but daily the, situations into this. You right. Know? But the difference between us and celebrities are that uh, people are going to have a bad interaction with us. And they might they might tell their friends and stuff. They're not going to tweet it and have that retweeted exactly, a thousand times exactly. around the world. So I, I, celebrities have it harder. They get a lot of stuff, and, and, and I'm not saying, oh, poor celebrities. Blah, blah, blah. I am saying, though, that we need to continue to, to follow these celebrities that take mental health seriously, mm-hmm. like Mike Patton, and we need to go, hey, you know what? He had everything... That he needed, but he's still taking time to take care of himself. Mm-hmm. That is so important. Because no matter what, you may have everything, but sometimes it could just be chemistry. Maybe your chemistry's wrong. Like, you know, like yeah. people just have to realize that just because you're famous doesn't mean that you're exempt from human emotion. Exactly. 100%. How do you take care of yourself? Not well. Okay. <laughs> depends honesty, on depends honesty. on the day. Um, in a perfect world, I try to meet all the needs that I have that day, whether that need is taking a 16-hour day to sleep all day or that's a joke, but sometimes I've been sleeping a lot lately, but I, <laughs> I, I maybe not 16, more like 14. Wow. But I mean, some days it's like I have to take a nap or some days it's, you know what, I have to not return phone calls or emails or I'm learning my own personal boundary of my own bandwidth. Sometimes I don't have it and I can't give it. And that has been the hardest thing for me to realize that just because I have it a little bit of it doesn't mean i have to give it away right i have to keep it for myself sometimes you know? right but 
but you probably experienced the guilt. Oh my gosh. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm getting better with the guilt because I'm learning that when, you know, and I've, I've guilted people for not fitting into the boundary that I wanted. Like, okay. what do you mean you can't do this? I thought we were going to. And then I get, all, you know, upset or whatever. And I'm learning that that's a toxic trait that I, I can exhibit. Sure. So and I, I try to be like, for myself, I try to be like, well, this is all I can give. Maybe that person can only give that to. Sure. And that's something I don't think I could have said a year ago. Okay. Well, you're working on yourself. Trying. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think our relationship has always just me being around you and you've just made these progressive leaps of of mental health. I'm and trying. Self-realization. Well, so. you're a good you're a good mentor to have for that. Uh, it's true. I would just say I'm a friend, but still. Oh. I will mentor you anytime you like. So <laughs> But yeah, it's just basically knowing my limitations. That's pretty much what I try to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to ask you how you view mental health, but I know mental health is important to you. So let me kind of uh, fix that a little bit by saying, what are your struggles with mental health? Not necessarily personally, but also just like kind of globally. Like what's what's the issue is with mental health? I think that people are too afraid to be human. I think they're too afraid, and I'm very guilty of this. It's people are too afraid to admit that they're struggling because struggle in some cases equals weakness. That's not true, but it's perceived as weakness. Just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're weak. It just means that you're struggling in the moment. And I think if if more people could get on board with that and again, realize that everybody's going through it, every just because I'm having a good day today and you're having a bad day doesn't mean that I'm going to have a, I could, I could have a string of good days. And yeah. then I could have two months where I don't want to do my dishes. You know? <laughs> Who wants to do dishes? Come on. I have a dishwasher. There's no excuse. Uh, that's true. <laughs> but no, I mean, that's what I think. I think that everyone is so into themselves because we all are. We're all self-centered creatures. I mean, no, yeah. no matter how hard we try to be generous to other people, we are self-centered. And that's okay because you got to take care of yourself first. Yeah, sure. But I think that there's – I think that people are – it's more like, well – it's them. Like those people need, those people go to therapy. I don't. Right. We didn't do that in my family. We didn't right. talk about the feelings in my family. And I think that that's what, that's a problem. I think that there's a shame because I know we say, we call it stigma, but I think there's yeah. a shame about being into your mental health. Yeah. And I think that that's unfortunate. No. Yeah. And I, it's also weird because we almost won't hesitate to suggest that somebody should go get help. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to us possibly realizing that we need help, it's like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm strong enough. I can deal with this on my Nick own. Nick had to bring me to my first appointment because I didn't want to go. <laughs> hey, no problem. You know what? I still to this day experience moments where I have these self-realizations where I was just like, I'm being pigheaded. I could ask for help, mm-hmm. but I'm not asking for help. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a constant struggle. It's not something I think anyone can necessarily get over. But I will say that... I think you're 100% right that we have this um, vision of ourselves that we have everything that we need Mm -hmm. and we don't need to ask for help because asking for help is shameful Mm -hmm. or receiving help is a sign of weakness, like you couldn't do it. But if you really think about it, the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. Asking for help is brave Mm -hmm. and receiving help is the right thing to do. Uh, people who are successful who don't seem to experience mental health problems are because they have great coping mm-hmm. uh, strategies and they have their resources available to them so much so that these problems never seem to be a problem because mental health isn't a problem until it's a problem, right? right? 
And, so, and, yeah. I, and I think people too, I mean, if somebody, if you see, if like, you know, taking it out, like if you see somebody struggling, you're going to want to help them. That's human nature. Most people want to help. Mm-hmm. So why can't you extend that same courtesy to yourself when you're struggling? That's a hard question to answer. <laughs> okay. True. All right. So uh, I have, I have another important question. Okay. And this is a, would you rather? Okay. You are going to be the first participant in this would you rather. Ooh. So... I'm going to have, this is part of the podcast now. So, you did not know this ahead of time. No, I did not. But I'm going to tell you, you have 30 seconds to choose the answer. Okay. And you need to explain. Okay. Why you chose that. Okay. Okay. So, would you rather be the lead singer to a famous punk band in the 80s or be the featured singer in a famous girl or boy band in the 90s? Punk rock in the 80s. Why? Because I'm a big fan of the DIY aesthetic. Um, I think that punk rock, I've always been a, as far as I can, as long as I can remember, I've been a punk rocker. Punk rock goes deeper than music to me. Punk rock is helping out community. Punk rock is helping out your friends. And I would much rather be involved in a punk rock situation than a creation of a boy band or girl band situation. Yeah. I agree with you. (laughs) I would like, I I would, obviously I would choose... Boy band. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I would choose punk band. I am I am a singer in a punk band right now. But, you know, it's really weird is, is I, I kind of was thinking about this, that sometimes people think of punk as punk. But yeah. there's so many different levels of punk and so many different generations of punk. But one thing that uh, is kind of, kind of like flows through the punk ethic is this feeling of DIY, mm-hmm. this feeling of also kind of like uh, supporting your brethren supporting a concept and that's so punk rock yeah it's community it's community punk rock is community you know i mean i've made giant batches of food in punk rock kitchens to feed traveling bands i have done all you know what i mean and that to me is that's community punk rock is community and the older you get the more punk rock you are if you're taking care of your community yeah so if you ever know any uh punk rockers in your area and you want to help them Give them food. Yes. They will eat it. Yes, they will. Yeah. Unless they're vegan punkers, then... You should probably, probably make it vegan. Yeah. Just, make, you know what? Go good. Uh, black bean soup or chili always makes all yeah. the vegans happy. Or just make a bunch of tater tots. People love tater tots. <gasps> oh, yes, they do. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> now I'm getting hungry. So uh, before we end this podcast, I just want to ask, do you have any advice for our listeners? Take care of yourself first so you can have some energy to take care of those you love. That's great advice. All right. Well, thank you, Amanda, for joining me today. This was a lot of fun. I could talk about music and mental health forever, and I probably will. Um, I want you to take care of yourself, Amanda. You're very important to me. And listeners, take care of yourselves because we all know that survival is more than just staying alive.